Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Like I said during the offering, uh, it's the chapter that records for us the event of Pentecost. The promised gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on the first century church. It must have been a sight to behold. The sound like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire, or at least what appeared to be tongues of fire, falling from the sky and resting over the heads of the disciples and the first followers of Christ. And then they started speaking in foreign languages. They started proclaiming the mighty acts of God in languages that they didn't even know. It was such an amazing manifestation, so unusual, that many of the observers who were watching it happen said, even though it's nine o'clock in the morning, these people must be drunk. What's your understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit? Certainly the manifestations of the power of the Spirit on that day were very unusual. But I would submit to you that the power of the Spirit goes way beyond that. As a matter of fact, I would say that we're shown in Acts that the outer manifestations are nothing compared to the inner graces that the power of the Spirit works in us. We're going to focus this morning on the reality that the impact of the Spirit among Christians is to form us into a community, and that through the community, He grows us and sustains us and transforms us. As a matter of fact, I'm going to submit to us this morning that God's Word is quite clear that you'll never become who God calls you to be in Christ apart from community. I'm going to say that again. You will never become, and I would want to say you can never become, all who God has called you to be apart from experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in community. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Well, I take that back. There are plenty of lone ranger Christians. Those things do exist, but biblically, we are called to avoid it at all costs. God works in our lives through community. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Talk about the the manifestation of the Spirit. Think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Have you ever noticed that all of those fruit primarily become manifest only in the context of community? I mean, we're called to love ourselves. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love develops, and lack of love is exposed, and need for Christ to change us is revealed in the context of community. 
patience. I know we all need to grow in patience with ourselves. But where patience is really called for and where impatience is revealed is in the context of community. Goodness, kindness, gentleness. Yes, we need to exercise all those things toward ourselves, but isn't it primarily in the context of community that the fruit of the Spirit is really created? In the text before us, we're going to see how the manifestation of the work of the Spirit creates a community, and that that community changes not only us, but changes the world. Jesus said that the world would know we are Christians by our love for one another. And in the context of community, we learn how to love. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we as the people of God would be one. And it is the work of the Spirit to make us into one. When I talk about community, I'm not talking about sitting in a circle, holding hands, sharing precious verses, and singing Kumbaya. When I talk about community, I'm talking about the power of the Spirit at work to change our lives. And that's that kind of community that we see in Acts chapter 2. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. This is God's Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us, and He wants us to experience the supernatural, transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and He wants us to understand that the primary way the Spirit of God changes our lives is as He places us into vibrant, intimate, gospel-centered, Christ-centered community. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you right now. We say, Lord, here we are. What you tell us, we will do. What you say to us, we will hear. So, Holy Spirit, come and move 
in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So it's so clear from the passage that the Holy Spirit, one of His main works of power, is to put us into a body, into a community, into a fellowship that He uses to change our lives. But we are not lifeless sticks floating down a stream, simply being borne along by a current. We are not people, and the Holy Spirit's sort of floating around, and we're just waiting to be zapped into transformational community. No. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And as we cooperate with the Spirit's work, He then engages us in community, and we're engaged by community. Now, at Oak Mountain, we have a very simple way to talk about walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's, it's a three-step dance that we call the gospel waltz. And the three steps of the waltz are repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. The way we walk in the Spirit is we repent of our sin and we see our need for Christ. And then we believe the gospel afresh. We rest in God's love that we've been singing about and hearing about this morning. But we also believe in the promise of God to change us at the point of our repentance as we run to Jesus again and again. Repent, believe, and then the last step of the waltz is we fight the good fight. We exercise our renewed wills and we choose to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. And so this morning as we talk about transformational community, the Spirit of God is at work compelling us and pulling us into community. But we can resist that or we can submit and surrender and work with it. So think of ways as we talk about community this morning that God is calling you to repent. How you need to believe the gospel to transform you so that you are more eager to engage community. And then where specifically can you take applicable actions to grow in your devotion to community? So that kicks us off, that first point right there. Walk in the Spirit and be devoted to community. It's right there in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That word devoted means to apply yourself diligently. See the fight step of the waltz? Now, it's not just do it, Nike Christianity. It's as we repent and believe, we experience transforming grace, and that empowers our will so that we can apply ourselves diligently. But the point is, community just doesn't happen. It takes intense effort. It takes intentionality. Matter of fact, the tense of the verb being devoted is is present continuous. Actually, it's imperfect continuous, but the point is they kept on continually applying themselves strenuously to be engaged in community. So what does it mean to be devoted? I mean, that, means, that word means different things to different people. Take Michael Phelps, for instance, the, perhaps the greatest athlete who's ever lived. Certainly by gold medals, he is the greatest and may always be the greatest. 
23 gold medals in the Olympics may never be surpassed. He was devoted to swimming. Let me describe his devotion. From the time he was 11 years old and years and years after that, all through the Olympics, he swam seven days a week without missing. It didn't matter whether he had the flu. It didn't matter whether it was Christmas. It didn't matter whether it was New Year's. It didn't matter whether it was his birthday. He swam every single day for five hours a day. That's devoted. He then swam 50 miles a week, every week, 52 weeks a year, for years. That's really a good description of the Greek word devoted. But how does that translate into how we're to be devoted, how the first century church was devoted to the fellowship? Well, thankfully, we don't have to guess. The text actually tells us. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, isn't it interesting that it says to to the fellowship? It doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowship. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to a fellowship. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That little article in the Greek, the word the is critical. It's it's used in just a few other lines where it says, and to the prayers. And if you go to Acts chapter 3, we learn that there were appointed formal times of prayer in the Jewish rhythm of worship, certain hours of prayer. So it was the prayers. They didn't just devote themselves to praying. They devoted themselves to make use of the appointed formal times of the prayers. And the same thing is true here where it says in the Greek, the fellowship, appointed, regular, formal times of worship. And we find out throughout the book of Acts and throughout the entire New Testament that the first century Christians set aside time on Sunday, which was a break of tradition with the Jews who worshiped on Saturday, this new set of Jews, something amazing happened. The only reasonable explanation is the resurrection is true because Jesus was raised on the first day and these, these scrupulously ritualistic Jews, some of them decided to start meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. They set aside regular time for worship weekly, and they were devoted to the fellowship. Let's walk in the Spirit. Let's waltz. Let's bring out our attendance records. I mean, let's do this together. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Is once every seven weeks devoted to the fellowship? Is once a month devoted to the fellowship? You need to wrestle with God on that. I'm not going to tell you. What's getting in the way of your consistent, regular, weekly engagement in corporate worship? Repent. Believe the gospel afresh. Rest in your salvation in Christ. Trust Christ now by His resurrection power to change you and give you fresh desires and new passions. 
And then make plans. Be devoted to the fellowship. But that's not all. Look at verse 46. Now, verse 46 in the ESV says um, that day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. What's interesting is the same word that we just talked about, devoted, is used in verse 46 as well as verse 42. So literally it says, verse 46, and day by day they devoted themselves to be of one mind and attend the temple and break breads in their homes. So being devoted to the fellowship for the first century church who were undergoing the constant power of the Holy Spirit was the Spirit was compelling them to regular, weekly, consistent worship and daily gathering in the temple and daily gathering in their homes. It seems to be that the early Christians were compelled to go to the temple courts in Jerusalem, and they, they sat around and read the Scriptures to each other. They discussed the implications of the Old Testament Scriptures. They talked about the, the good news of Jesus Christ. They prayed together. They probably sang some songs. And then, every day, they went in each other's homes and did it all over again. That's what it means in this passage to be devoted to the fellowship. And so let's walk in the Spirit. Let's waltz. Do you have a daily devotion to the fellowship? Or maybe that seems too intense. Okay, then, then let's at least talk about it. What does it mean for you to be devoted to the fellowship? Can I make a couple of suggestions? As a staff team, we've seen that people who just show up periodically in worship, they're not very engaged with the church, and they're really, frankly, not very engaged with Jesus. Very rarely. It's, it's usually a pretty direct correspondence between how engaged people are with the church and how engaged they are with Jesus. But then we found if someone's engaged in worship... And one more thing, as a staff, we call that worship plus one. If we see they're involved in worship and, let's say, they go to adult discipleship class on Sunday mornings, well, we found that their engagement with Jesus and their walk with Jesus tends to be more intimate. Or it's maybe worship on Sunday morning and they go to life group Sunday night or sometime during the week. And then we found an even greater jump in people's intimacy with Christ and the health of their walk with God, if they take the jump to worship plus two, that might be adult discipleship class and life group. It might be a discipleship group like Battle for the Heart or the Gospel Watch Journey. It might be involved in some kind of servant team ministry like children's ministry or youth ministry or the missions team. There are all kinds of ways for people in this church to be devoted to the fellowship, whether it's engagement in discipleship, teaching, uh, being involved in, in other, uh, the Yopro ministry, the forerunners. So ask yourselves, what does it mean for you to be devoted to the fellowship? Hebrews 10, 25, the author says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, we're, 
We're not putting something on you this morning. We're inviting you to a feast. We're inviting you to an experience of the Holy Spirit that any Christian would long to have. But you're not going to be zapped. And you're not going to be able to just sit there like a stick flowing with the current. It is going to take becoming devoted to the fellowship. And how does God build devotion? As we repent of not being devoted, as we believe the gospel afresh, and as we make choices to be intentional. At all of our exits this morning, you can actually sign up for a small group. You can go online at any time. You can talk to staff. Walk in the Spirit and to be devoted to community. Secondly, walk in the Spirit and be transformed by community. I said it before. I'm going to say it again now. God's primary means of transformation is not you, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not primarily individual. The Christian life is primarily corporate. And as Western Christians, we have so individualized the Christian life. Think of the Lord's Prayer. I've said this before with, with us being together. It's all first-person plurals. It's not even your daily bread. It's not even my daily bread. It's our daily bread. And that's what happens in this text. None of them considered anything as belonging to themselves. And whoever any needs, it says in verses 44 and 45, they'd sell their possessions and belongings and distribute it. So, so we're talking about a kind of community that impacts our lives, that the Spirit uses to change us and transform us. And I would say basically because of, of two particular elements we find in Spirit-filled community. And that is, and we've prayed for this for Oak Mountain, that we would be a community of safety and we would be a community of strength. And what's interesting is safety and strength actually parallel nicely to what we believe about the gospel. The gospel is, first of all, the message of God's unconditional love toward undeserving sinners. And we need to hear that all the time. And secondly, the gospel is the message of God's supernatural transforming power for desperate sinners in Christ. The community is to be a place of safety that preaches the good news to us. And then the community is to be a place of strength where grace has teeth. So let me cover those quickly uh, from the text. First of all, in verses 44 and 45, we read that they held everything in common. They, they sold possessions, belongings. By the way, this is entirely voluntary. This isn't socialism. This isn't communism. The, these are people who, who recognize that God blesses and it's private property and it's theirs to do with what they will. But what they will was to be a community of safety. So people were being vulnerable and transparent about their needs. And the grace of the Spirit in the community moved people and compelled people 
to meet each other's needs. Now, what this does is put flesh on the love of God. Puts flesh on the grace of God. I talked this morning about Zephaniah 3.17 and God singing over us. Do you know how hard it is for me to actually embrace that? Can I just be really honest? There are many times when I just don't believe God's singing over me. I know the Bible says it. My head acknowledges it, but that's not what I'm feeling. But then I'll be honest about a need. It may be material. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. And somebody in the body of Christ makes me feel safe. They speak the truth of the gospel, but it's not my head anymore. It's their voice. And it's their arms. It's their actions. And suddenly what was just the lyrics of the song now has music. It now has melody. And the good news of God's grace and love is no longer Charlie Brown's teacher in Bob's head. Womp, 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 womp. Now it's a beautiful song that I'm actually experiencing. And guess what? I would not have experienced it had I not been in community. I would not have. You can read all the books in the world on the gospel of grace, and the only thing it touches is your head. To press grace from the head to the heart takes the power of the Spirit through community. Men and women speaking the gospel into your heart. That's how we're transformed. And then notice it says in verses 42 and 43 that they were also devoted to the apostles' teaching and awe came upon every soul. We just looked at the community as a place of safety. Now we're looking at community as a place of strength. And what we're saying here is that grace has teeth, men and women. Community as a safe space says it's all true. God loves you just the way you are, and I'm going to preach that to you until you experience it. But grace is also the message of supernatural transforming power. And you have a new heart, and you have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Word of God, and we're the fellowship. And I'm going to call you to more. Because even though it's true, God loves you just the way you are, it's also true that God loves you too much to leave you that way. And I love you too much to leave you that way. So let's grow in holiness together. A community of safety and a community of strength. And we walk in the Spirit and we're transformed community. In verse 46 where it says they, they were with one another with glad and, and, and generous hearts. Sometimes I don't understand some of the translations. That, that's, generous is just a bad translation. It's, it's glad and sincere um, or glad and authentic. Glad and real hearts. The way we're going to be transformed by community is as we are willing to open up our lives 
James 5, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. There is supernatural healing power, transformational power in community. So walk in the Spirit and to be devoted to community. Secondly, walk in the Spirit, be transformed by community. Then thirdly, walk in the Spirit and be humbled by community. (laughs) Do you know the Christian life in theory is really easy? I mean, you can memorize all kinds of Scripture about what what the Christian life is supposed to look like. You can memorize the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, I actually memorize Galatians 5, 22, 23, and I use it as waltz music. I'll pick a different fruit a different day. So the first fruit is love. And so I waltz through love. God, show me all the ways I'm not loving so that I could repent. Well, guess where God shows me? In community. God doesn't typically say, oh, Bob, you're not loving yourself. No, it's actually in the context of being with Laurie. And I realize I'm not loving her well. See, God develops humility in community. And that's why so many of us, can I really be honest this morning? That's why we run for the hills. That's why we're not devoted to the fellowship. Because it's so exposing. All the fruit of the Spirit, community exposes how desperately we need the gospel, how desperately we need Christ. So verse 46, day by day, the Greek says, they devoted themselves to being of one mind by meeting in the temple together and meeting from house to house. Humility comes from recognizing we're called to be of one mind. And it's not your mind or my mind. It's Christ's mind. Have you noticed that everybody today just wants to be heard? Everybody today wants their point of view to be embraced. It takes humility to say, you know what? It's not about my view. It's not about my agenda. Oh, and so many people avoid community because they've got an agenda. Look, community is a reality in Christ to be embraced. It's not something you try to form after your own expectations and agendas. You come at community with expectations and agendas and you're going to actually destroy community. Community is something that exists in Christ objectively. And we're simply called to engage it. That means getting rid of our agendas. That means humbling ourselves before others. In verse 46, it talks about being devoted, of being in one mind. Paul uses the same phrase in Philippians 2. He says, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in one accord and of one mind. And then he goes on and lists what humility looks like. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition, pride, conceit, but count others more significant than yourselves. Boy, that's an easy verse to memorize. But when you start getting around people and you realize what God's calling you to do, to count others more important than yourself, I mean, it's just we're exposed, we're undone. We're cut wide open. And can I say this gently? That's exactly what God wants to happen. As community exposes our self-centeredness and our pride, 
God says, do you see now why the gospel is good news? The reason why so many people avoid community is because it's just a whole lot more comfortable to not get in community. You won't grow, but it's more convenient. Verse 4 of Philippians 2, look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Nothing will bubble up our sinfulness like being in relationships with other people. And then it goes and talks about Christ and His humility, that He didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped, something to be asserted. Have, have you noticed just how quick Christians are today to assert our rights? Nothing could be further from the gospel. Jesus says if someone forces you to go a mile, go with them too. Don't assert your rights. Now, clearly, we're not talking about abuse or anything like that. He said the same thing with getting hit. He said if someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn them the other as well. I don't think we're supposed to sit there and be abused. But we're certainly, as Christians, not supposed to sit around and talk about asserting our rights all the time. And as we get in community, we realize just how entitled we really are at the core. And community exposes our entitlement mentality. See, it's in, it's in community that we're humbled over our lack of love, our lack of patience, our lack of kindness, our lack of gentleness. Not so that we could be filled with shame and guilt, but so that we would see that we really are a people that need the gospel. We really are a people that need Jesus desperately. And then we, we proclaim the gospel to each other and say, hey, it's true. If you run to Jesus, you'll experience fresh forgiveness. If you run to Jesus, you really will experience the power of the resurrection. Let's run to Jesus together. And that's why the early church changed the world. Community is not a group of individual people practicing certain disciplines in the presence of other people. Community is not individual Christianity, individual spirituality, where people practice spiritual disciplines alongside other people doing the same thing. That's simply individualism. Christian community and the Spirit of God through community is the recognition that there is a unique moving of the Spirit when Christians live together. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That's why when it comes to the Lord's table, this, this isn't primarily about you and me being changed, although that is promised. You know, that's why the Bible doesn't know and speak of anywhere about individual communion. Communion is a sacrament to be celebrated by the whole church. It's at communion where we recognize objectively we are the body of Christ. We are a local body. And all of our petty differences and all of our resentments, and all of our little squabbles, it doesn't change a 
thing regarding the, the reality. We are still members of one another in Christ. And that's why communion is not only a celebration of our communion with Christ as Christians, but it's also a celebration that we are in fact the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And God means to transform our lives through engagement in community. On the night in which Christ was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body given for you. After supper, He also took the cup and He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. Now, we believe that these elements remain uh, the bread and the fruit of the vine. But we also believe that as we walk in the Spirit, as we waltz to the table, as we approach repentantly, as we partake believingly, as we depart fightingly, we are transformed in the context of community. And we are made more like Christ. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would set these elements apart from their common use. We recognize they remain simply bread and the fruit of the vine. But God, we also know that they're signs and seals of the covenant of grace. And that they present to our hearts and our souls the realities of Christ's work. And you actually, Jesus, are spiritually present in this community and in this communion to nourish our souls. We ask you to do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.